How you guys doing out there? Yeah? Has it escaped your attention that it's April 15th? Yeah? Big day, right? Big, fantastic day. Twin's birthday, that's what I'm talking about. You guys have two more days to do your taxes if you haven't got them done yet. Just throw that out there for what it's worth. Bring a little downer, Debbie Downer into the session here. Anyway, how you doing? we've seen two videos this morning. A dad trying to emulate his daughter's gymnastics feet and then this dad who's painting his house black for his daughter who's a little bit goth, all right? And we'll see how that all ties in to the message. Uh, we're going through the book of Romans, as we've said. Let me just pray for our time and then we'll see what God has in store for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thanks for things that we would not know unless you deign to share it with us. Thanks for preserving your word through all of human history. So make sure that we would know who you are, what you think, what you think of us. As we open your word this, today, I pray that you would uh, inspire us to understand it. Give us minds to hear, hearts that are open to your word, uh, that we might be changed from our time with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, just to, by way of review, Paul began the book of Romans explaining why, if you've missed any of those messages, why every person on earth who has ever lived, who is currently living, or who will ever live, is in uh, deep kimchi, is in serious trouble before uh, the one true God who basically spoke everything in the universe into existence, out of nothing. And the trouble that we're in is that we have all, by God's declaration, committed at least one violation against God's standards. Uh, he calls it sin. The penalty for that is death. So no matter how good you are, you're never going to work that off. You have a death sentence. Now, having kind of described the hopelessness of humans, humankind's condition, Paul tells us that God did, did something that was kind of amazing, unexpected, kind of marvelous, uh, because of his love for us, which frankly, none of us can fathom. Because why? We, we know each other, right? We know us. We know we're not that lovable. But God provides a way for us to be reconciled, to have a relationship back with God between himself and humankind. And it turns out it's not from us trying harder. It's not from human effort. Uh, th that is frankly the mechanism that every other religion on earth attempts to make nice with God. Instead, what God himself did is send the second person of the Trinity, his son, Jesus Christ, promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He became a human. He lived a perfect life, which means he didn't need to die, but he did so voluntarily, offering himself as a sacrifice to pay for all the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. And all that is required for a human person to be reconciled to God is to basically believe by faith who Jesus is, what he did, and to take him as the Lord of your life. Now, once a person does that, Paul goes on to describe, lots of things start happening. Change begins to happen, right? Change that ultimately will produce in us, down the road, kind of uh, character that is identical with, consistent with that of Christ. Paul spent a good deal of text, we'd spent many messages on that, sharing just what happens in the spiritual domain that, what, that then flows into us in the, spirit, in, the, in the human kind of physical world, all that happens behind the scenes. But then in chapter 7, Paul kind of runs into a buzzsaw. He's so excited about the, having accepted Christ, he's so excited about living this Christian life, but he discovers he does not have the ability to do so in his own strength. He uh, has a new heart that loves God. He's got the Spirit of God that has moved in, but he's still got this flesh, this body that is drawn to all the things it was drawn to before he accepted Christ. So 
What is the deal? Paul begins to wonder. Does a Christian who continues to sin after he's accepted Christ, does God sort of say, okay, that, that's enough of you. <laughs> Out of here with you. And in chapter 8, after he wrestled with this whole thing, Paul utters what I think might be the single most spectacular, most marvelous, uh, most powerful statement maybe in all of Scripture. He says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Paul begins to explain why. It's this, violations of God's law can no longer touch you and I if we are Christians, if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That sin has already been paid for by Christ on the cross. In Christ, we have, we have departed the realm we were born into, the, the realm of the law of sin and death. We sin, we get the death penalty. We sin, we get the death penalty. That, that was us before the, we accepted Christ. Having accepted Christ, we've entered a new realm. Paul describes it as the law of the spirit of life. So death and life. What Life sounds a little, a little better, right? <laughs> spirit of God given to every Christian who declares faith in Christ uh, is going to lead that Christian. The Christian is supposed to give up the reins, if you will. Let the Spirit lead. And guess what? When that happens, the Spirit never accidentally or otherwise leads us into sin. So, bottom line is, the only time you and I, if you're Christians, the only time we sin is when we purpose not to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Right? But even when we do, because we're going to mess up once in a while... The law over there in the old realm cannot touch us, cannot condemn us, cannot claim anything on us because that sin has already been paid for by Christ. So that's kind of where we catch ourselves up to today. I want to take just a moment. I would call it a detour, but I don't think it's a detour. It's something we need to grasp. Um, and I want, to gra- I want to help you grasp something about this spirit of God thing. Uh, I want us to lock that in. Uh, because, see, we're, we're sitting right here at the State Theater, right? We'd all agree to that. We're in the State Theater. But right next door to us is the Center for Spiritual Enrichment. And there's some great people there. We see them sometimes as we're loading in in the morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, they park over there in the municipal lot. They walk back through the, behind the building. So we get to yap with them sometimes. When we are closing up and, and uh, packing out, uh, they're, they're kind of processing out. They're moving back across the State Theater parking lot, headed back towards their cars, and we get a chance to talk once in a while. Uh, there's some good folks over there. They've even partnered with us on our Generosity Feeds event we did with Falls Church High School uh, about a year and a half ago or so. See, they are all about connecting with the spirit world, right? And the truth is, we got a lot of religions out there that are purporting to do the same thing. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, right? Just to name three. They claim to be connecting to God and the spirit world. So the, the question is this. Are they, for reals, connecting with God? Or are they connecting with counterfeits, pretending to be from God? Are they actually forces from the dark side? If so, how does one tell? Well, well, good news for us. God's Word tells us how to tell. I want to start with the text that E sort of spoke on last week as kind of a jumping point. I want to build on something that kind of uh, E drew your attention to last week. So listen carefully now to Paul as he is now talking to the Christians in Rome about this spirit who's come to dwell in us. 
when we accept by faith Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. You, talking to the Roman Christians. You guys, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You're not being driven by your flesh anymore. You're being driven by the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you. Okay, stop. Hard stop right there. Do you see anything interesting in that passage? Paul uses several descriptors for this particular spirit he's talking about. One he calls the spirit of the Lord, or the spirit of God. He also describes it as the spirit of Christ. And then he says, but if Christ is in you, explicitly then Paul is saying that this spirit of God, this spirit of Christ, this Christ in you is Christ in you. This actually kind of lines up with what Jesus told his followers in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18. Jot that down, read it on your own time. But in that passage, here's what he tells his disciples. He says, I'm going to be asking the Father to send another helper after I depart. I mean, he's been telling them, okay, I've come here, I'm going to die for the sins of all mankind. Okay, then I'm going to be raised from the dead, then I'm going to hang out for a while, then I'm going to go back to the Father, okay? But I'm going to send somebody, a helper, to be with you forever. I mean, it's nice that I'm here, but the truth is, I can't be everywhere all at once because I'm operating in this human flesh. But when I come back as a spirit, I'll be able to inhabit a whole bunch of you all at the same time. It's going to be better for you that I do that, that I can send myself in a, in a new form, in the spirit, and you guys will all have, get to hang out with me all the time. Uh, Jesus called this spirit the spirit of truth. Then Jesus said this, and in doing so, in your receiving the spirit of truth, I, Jesus, will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the whole purpose was that Jesus is going to basically come back to them in this new form. In other words, this particular spirit showing up means that Jesus has shown up. So the spirit Paul is talking about is not some generic spirit out there. Nor is it just any spirit out there. It's the spirit of God and his son Jesus. In other words, not all spirits, and there are a lot of them. God has a lot of angelic forces. Can we agree? They show up sometimes in the Bible. They appear to mankind. The archangel Michael and that kind of stuff. They have their spiritual forces. So does the evil one have spiritual forces, demonic forces. They have some certain amount of power and abilities. But there's God's spirit, Christ's spirit together, and then a whole lot of masqueraders whole lot of pretenders, whole lot of liars. I want you to hear this from 1 John because it's key to our grasping this whole concept. John says, beloved, that's his word for fellow Christians, people that he uh, knows are saved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Then he goes, then here's the key part. By this you know the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ in you. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Christ is not from God. In other words, how do you tell? How do you tell that the spirit you're dealing with is real or a phony? Is there a test? Some way we might know. Yeah, there is. The genuine Spirit of God is going to always direct your attention to Christ. The fakes do not. I mean, let me tell you, some of the closest encounters I felt I've ever had with uh, the demonic forces of this world have been uh, over at the Unity Club 
at AA meetings where people are getting tokens for their uh, a period of time for being uh, free of uh, sober or free of drugs. Here and there, people will actually stand up and credit Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit for the power that they have received to stop drinking, doing drugs, or whatever. But most thank some unidentified higher power. And often the language that comes out of their mouths is very crass, very vulgar, as they're doing this. Yeah, okay, that higher power, that spirit that has empowered them to stop drinking or smoking or whatever they want to stop doing, right, has a little bit of power. And who knows, maybe they will, in fact, never drink or do drugs again in the rest of their lives. But let me tell you this. That spirit does not care one whit. Does not care one whit for the soul of that person. All they care about is having that person stop drinking and basically call them God. Because a real spirit from God will direct their attention to Christ. I've given you this, I've done this thing in your life so that you might know, come to know Christ. So you know it's a spirit from the dark side because it does not proclaim Christ and lead that person to faith in him because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He never focuses his attention on himself. He's always focusing his attention outward on Christ. Read your Bible, you'll see it for yourself. It's a very simple, straightforward test. So that's that. I had to get that on the table for you. Okay, so here we go, back to Romans. Next in Romans, what Paul does, he begins to share with us some of the ways the Spirit of God operates in our lives, right? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ in us. He's, he gives us a new heart that is all of a sudden open to God, open to the things of God. He brings our own spirit, which was dead. We were dead spiritually when we came out of the womb. He brings us back to life spiritually. And the Spirit gives us a new mindset that is, you might have noticed this if you're a Christian. When you, before you became a Christian, what? You read the Bible and it was total gibberish, total goofiness, total, total craziness. You get saved and all of a sudden you open the same book and you read it and you go, oh, okay, this is beginning to make some sense. All of a sudden, things we read in Scripture begin to kind of, oh, okay, I, I get it now. Because you had your mind changed. Right? So in terms of our text today, what the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ in us does, that we're going to talk about is really kind of an, an inner witness. We even sing about this sometimes in the old hymns. You know, there's a hymn that goes, in my heart there rings a melody, a melody of love. There's something that the Spirit of God kind of whispers to us that affirms to us that we are gods and that we are loved. Frankly, I think it's something only a Christian really knows. It's kind of difficult to explain it to people who aren't Christians, but a Christian gets it. He said, I know I belong to God because of my faith in Christ. That's an intellectual thing. I know my life is changing. That's kind of an inward thing and an outward thing. But I also know that I am God's because the Holy Spirit in me witnesses this truth to me as he and I traverse this globe. He's witnessing this truth of God's love for me from within. And listen, this may not sound like that big a deal. It may not sound like that big a deal to you at all. But it really is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It is monumentous in terms of deals. And I'll tell you why. Because as you navigate this world, you're going to have the evil one plant doubts in your mind all the time about God, about whether you really are saved. I mean, about whether you really are loved by this God. You're going to, you're going to mess up. 
And the evil one's going to be right there. He's going to tell you, see what have I been telling you? There you go again. There you have it. You, you really are no good. You really can't be loved by this God. You're not really lovable. See, you need that voice of the Holy Spirit in you whispering the voice of Christ to you who loved you enough to die for you to wring out what is true about you because otherwise you'd be convinced that the evil one is arguing fact and truth. But the Holy Spirit prevents that from happening. So what this text today we're going to look at is going to look at, it's, it's, it's this, uh, uh, growing up, I love my dad, okay? I obeyed him, uh, except on those many momentous occasions when I was just impetuously doing something stupid. But I, I loved my dad. I wanted to obey him. I knew, I knew I was loved by my dad. I knew that he took care of my mom and my sisters and, and me and loved us. Uh, there was a relationship I had with him I didn't really have with any other guy. All right? But this whole father-child relationship thing is sort of something God designed in the family so that we might have kind of an experience on earth that sort of sets us up to understand the experience God wants to have with us as Christians. Because that's kind of the way we are seen by God. As Christians, we, we love him because he's poured out his love for us. So we, we look at verse 12. We're going to follow Paul's logic. And I think we're going to uh, hopefully encourage you today. Romans 8.12, Paul says this, So then, brothers, given all the things that I've been talking about in first eight chapters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. See, he calls the people he's writing to brothers. Why does he call them brothers? Because they're Christians, and it makes them part of his family, part of the family of God. The term debtor here is interesting. Think about it. When you are in debt, your spending behavior is constrained. Right? You don't get to do what you want to do with your money the way you want to do it. See, the debt that you owe determines your spending patterns. You, you must honor, right, the person that you owe the debt to. You don't have to pray about whether you should pay your debts. You might have to pray about how you're going to pay your debts, but you're not going to have to pray about whether you should. You should. We are debtors, and when we owe it to the person that we owe money to, we owe it to pay it back. Paul says, look, in a spiritual sense, we're not debtors as Christians to the flesh. That is, we Christians have no obligation to obey our stupid bodies and what they tell us to do, the sin stuff. But we are debtors in this sense. We're debtors to God. It's because our, our hearts have been broken by God's grace our minds have been illumined to be able to grasp things of God. Our, our will has been changed to want to obey, to want to follow. Our mind now understands this God's love for us, right? And we obey not because that kind of a debt, but we obey because there's a love that has been poured out for us that compels us to respond in kind. We can't, can't help ourselves because we simply love him back. It's interesting that one of the most oft-used descriptors of Christians in the New Testament is as a, a lover of God. Listen to these passages. All things work together for good for those who love God. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Let all who love the Lord worship him. And then Christ said this, he who keeps my word, he it is that loves me. 
See, we're debtors driven by the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Christ in us, to love back the God that first loved us. And that love will lead us to want to obey, to want to please him, like maybe you wanted to please your dad. In our lives before Christ, we had a debt. Sure we did. An obligation to our flesh. We felt zero obligation to read God's word. We felt zero obligation to pray. Zero obligation to give. Zero obligation to serve, right? right? Mom and dad might have demanded that you and I go to church, but we felt no inward obligation to do so. One person said, growing up I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church, <laughs> drug me to youth group, drug me to Sunday school. <laughs> That's the way we were before Christ entered the fray. Here's what Paul says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Let's kind of expand that a little bit. If you're obeying your flesh, you'll die. That is, if you are, if you are just a carnal person, you're, you, don't, you don't have the Spirit in you, you're basically going along through life, obeying your flesh, doing what you do normally, you're going to die. You're going to live a life of alienation from God now, and you will spend eternity, really, in a, think about it, a family reunion. That's what really hell is. A family reunion with all the lost people who are your spiritual family members. You will go as someone who was obligated, compelled to obey your spiritual father, the evil one, and you live for him, whether, whether you know it or not. Because he is a master of keeping his followers in the dark as to their real condition. But heaven and hell are just really big family reunions. It says, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You begin to grasp the truth of Jesus' words up on the screen. Right? You'll live a life of, of increasing holiness. You'll be more and more like Christ. A life of love of God. And you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. This Christ in you that's going to have power that he gives you that you don't have. Paul discovered that. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us put the deeds, the death, the deeds of the flesh, right? So when we put the death, the deeds of the body by the Spirit, we're not just simply trying to be better people, okay? We've been given a heart that's inclined, okay, good. We've got the Spirit of God that has this power. You turn over the reins to him and he kind of takes it from there. So you find out that when you live the Christian life like the Christian life is supposed to be lived, the Spirit is leading you. You're not, really, you're not really taking the credit for anything. You're simply really kind of dying to yourself, letting the Spirit kind of take over. What you then accomplish, what you then see, what the fruit of the Spirit then produces, all goes to Him. The credit goes upward. So, put to death the deeds of the body. You notice it says deeds, right? Put to death the deeds. You and I cannot put to death the temptation, can we? You know how long you've been a Christian, you still have temptations. Sometimes you can be burned by sin enough Sometimes you can know the scriptures well enough. Sometimes you've already run the gauntlet of being chastened enough to not be fooled by the temptation, right? But the truth is that until the day we die, our bodies are going to respond to the vibrations of the world just like a tuning fork. It's just that we now as Christians don't have to fall for it because we have the Spirit. We don't have to, but we don't have to say no to it all by ourselves. We have a Holy Spirit in us with plenty of oomph, plenty of power. All we have to do is focus on letting him lead. So if you are, uh, happen to be a young Christian, you've only been a Christian for a year or two, I do not want you to be concerned that you still feel pulled by the things you used to be pulled by. Guess what? People who've been Christians 75 years still feel pulled by those things. But allowing the Spirit to lead us, 
will continue to put the deeds of the flesh to death. Now that word put to death, listen, there's another thing I need to make sure I understand. This is not something that you ever arrive at in this life. Right? That's not what this text is saying. They're not saying this. The, the, the verb tense is actually talking about something that is a continuous action. You are to continuously be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That sin thing that you wanna, your body wants to throw you into. Uh, you're supposed to be living under the Spirit's leadership. Uh, I'm not sure that the Spirit came up with this idea, but I saw this online. I thought, this is brilliant. If so, if the Spirit did tell somebody they ought to do this, this is a way to cook lots and lots of hot dogs. Anyway, I was just amused. It amused me, so I'm happy. If, if you're not amused, I don't care. All right. Anyway, the text does not say that you have to completely put to death the deeds of the flesh and that you'll live. Because, see, if that's what it said, you'd be discouraged. You'd walk out here discouraged. So aren't you glad if it said that, it'd be, you'd be nervous. Because what it would be saying is that, well, if you've reached the point where you no longer sin, where you've completely put to death the deeds of the body, sin is no longer affect you whatsoever. You're not, you're not tempted with anything. You just go through life and you're just perfect all the time. If that's what it said, see, we'd all be toast because we know us, don't we? We know we're going to walk out of here this afternoon and we're going to screw up somehow. We are not going to be led by the Spirit. We're going to say something we shouldn't say, think something we shouldn't think, do something we shouldn't do, and we're going to find out, that, okay, that sin, Spirit wouldn't leave me in that moment of time, uh, so we're going to find that happen. But the body, this is not what the text says. It says if you are continually striving, if you are continually fighting, if you're continually battling to let the Spirit lead, if you're continually trying to get out of the way so the Spirit can lead you, then you are going to live. In fact, that battle, that continual struggle, is kind of confirmation. It's intended as proof that you are, in fact, a Christian. Because guess what? The world at large does not battle with that. <laughs> does not battle with that. They sin and they love it. They love their sin. The only time they don't love their sin is when the consequences come a cropper. Other than that, they love it. Right? Then we have verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And this is kind of the key point of, of the day. Right? God's kind of introducing for us, for the first time in the book of Romans, this whole concept right, of being sons and daughters of God himself. All of a sudden, these words show up out of nowhere almost. And they're full of freedom and joy and hope and love for us. This fellow on the screen, I hope you can read it. Can you read it? I think this guy gets it. Why do you have a kid's ticket? Oh, I'm a child of God. I love it. Uh, we have this new identity that we've been given. But the identity comes with a condition, right? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of Christ. Those who are led by the Christ that's in us, right, are children of God. To be led means that you are now under the authority of, under, the, under a constraint, right? See, a, a shepherd leads his sheep. Can we agree? If you've ever seen a shepherd lead sheep, you know that the shepherd leads their sheep. How, how does the shepherd lead the sheep? They know his voice. They hear his voice. And they follow his voice. And the fact that they follow his voice is proof that they are, in fact, his flock. 
Same with God. We know his voice. We hear his voice. We follow his voice. He leads. And if you are following that voice, the Almighty considers you, through what Christ has done, his child, his son, his daughter. You are family. And the reason that you follow, the reason that you let him lead, the reason that you obey is this. It, it, Paul kind of makes, Mark he says this first. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery. He says, this is not what happened to you, Christian. This is not how it works. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Paul says, you and I have not received a spirit. He's not talking about the spirit, Holy Spirit at this point. He's talking about, you have not received a disposition. You have not received a tendency, right? You and I as Christians have not received an attitude or a heart or a soul that allows the Holy Spirit to lead because we are afraid of being zapped, right? I mean, how, do, how does slavery work? Do slaves obey their masters because they just love them to pieces? Is that, I mean, is that what motivates them? You've not been slaves, or you would know. <laughs> You'd be shouting, no, no, that is not the way it happens. A slave obeys because he's afraid of being punished, afraid of the severity of the punishment that's going to come his way if he bears, if he dares disobey, right? But the Christian, totally different, Paul says. Different motivation altogether. What is it? Paul says this, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, i.e. daughters too, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with ours that we are children of God. What's our motivation? Fear? No. We follow the spirit of God. We follow the Spirit of Christ. We follow the Christ in us because we're God's children. We're children. We're, we're, we're sons. We're daughters. See, that's why we are led by the Spirit. We're, that's why we're eager to cooperate with the Spirit in, in putting continuously to death the deeds of the body. That, that's why we're debtors to God because he's given us a heart that longs to love him, that wants to obey him. It's a totally subjective thing I think only Christians really get. It's really hard to communicate to people who aren't Christians. Why do you do this, they might think. Well, I, 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 love, I love the Lord. <laughs> what? Yeah, love the Lord. How, how did you come to love the Lord? Well, he, he gave me this heart when I accepted Christ. I don't love him because of me, but because of what God did, what God gave me. He gave me a heart to love him. It's part of the salvation process. It's not that we get to heaven and get a new heart, okay? We get it down here. When you trust Christ, you are born again. You get a new spiritual father and God's spirit comes to dwell in you and he witnesses to you about who you are. What's true of you? You've been adopted. You're not homeless anymore. The Holy Spirit tells you by his very presence and by your following him that you are now a member of God's family. You're his kid. You have a feeling towards God that you never had before. You love him. See, I've got a picture of a couple of empty nesters up here. There it is. I love this picture. They've already raised their kids, raised their family, kicked them out. They're all doing great, right? They decided, yeah, we, we got a home. Let's fill our home with all these adopted kids, and we're just going to love them, right? Just warms my heart to pieces. Now, this term adoption may not mean a whole lot to us. It may not be that impressive to us, but in the first century, 
An adopted son was a son that was deliberately chosen by an adopted father to perpetuate the estate and to inherit that estate. The adopted child was in no way inferior to anybody who had been born to that particular person. So this says that we really sense that because of God's spirit in us, Christ's spirit in us, Christ now dwelling in us, that we are God's kids. In fact, God's spirit testifies to our spirit that we are. See, our spirits were dead. Now when Christ comes in, our spirits are made alive. That spirit that comes into us testifies to the spirit that now is alive, that we are really God's kids. And we can cry. The reality of this is we can cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Abba, Father? It means Daddy. Daddy. Now, Jews never referred to God as Daddy, as Abba. Never. They still do not. But Jesus did. At Gethsemane, he did. It's an Aramaic word. It means Daddy. Right? Can anything be a little more beautiful than this? then Jesus would actually tell you and me that we can use his special name for God as if we are his children, sons. So you can call him, you can call him dad, you can call him daddy. That's what kind of relationship Jesus is offering. God offers himself as the soul-satisfying daddy for everyone who comes to him. I don't know if you remember the story of Naaman in the Old Testament. I'm not going to raise, ask for a raise of hands. Uh, but in 2 Kings chapter 5, you can read about the story of Naaman. And I would encourage you, it's a fun story. So I'm going to gist it for you here. But here, here's the gist. This guy was uh, a very successful commander of the Syrian army. Uh, but he developed leprosy. He wanted uh, to be cured of leprosy. And surprise, who, who would not, right? It was a horrible disease. Most people were kind of ostracized, put on the sidelines. He hears about this prophet of Israel named Elisha that had the potential maybe to, to, to heal him. And he heard this from a little Jewish servant girl that worked in his, in his house. So uh, he decides he's going to go see Elisha. So he packs up a huge amount of goods and, and all kinds of silver. And all kind, he's going to pay Elisha to do this. He's got this whole hoard of stuff he's going to give Elisha. He gets to Elisha and Elisha says, I don't want nothing to do with, with any of your money. I, I, and, and I think the Naaman thought, okay, this guy's going to just raise his hands. He's going to pray to God and I'm going to be healed. And it's going to be good. So, but instead, Elisha says this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to go over to the River Jordan that muddy little river, that is identified with the God of Israel, Jehovah God. And I want you to dip yourself in it seven times. And when you finish dipping yourself seven times, and of course you're going to be seen by all the Israelites because that's the public place where all the clothes washing and all that stuff happens. So you're going to be, you're going to, they're going to witness you doing this, <laughs> bowing really before the God of Israel for a healing. Well, Naaman is sorely agitated. You know, he leaves in a huff, muttering things like, why couldn't he have told me to go to one of the Syrian rivers? They're clean, and they're much more beautiful than this stupid river Jordan. So he takes off. He leaves. Well, I don't know if it's in route or when they got back home, but his servants uh, kind of saddled up to him and said, okay, okay uh, sir, let me, just, let me just get this right. Elijah told you that if you dip yourself in this river seven times, you, you'd be totally healed, right? I mean, did we miss, did, that what he, did we get that right? Is that, is that what you heard? Seven times, totally healed. You're not going to do that. 
you're, you're going to keep the leprosy. All, I mean, all you got to do is dip seven times. You, and somehow, you, they said, you know, probably gently, we don't, we don't think that's a very, I mean, wiser thoughts could suggest maybe you'd go. Anyway, Naaman eventually is won over. And he goes, submits, dips himself into the river seven times, comes out, totally healed. It said his skin was like a marvel. I don't know if you guys say this in this part of the town, part of, part of the world. It was, it was, his skin was as soft as a baby's butt. Did you say that here? Maybe it's just Indiana. Anyway, his sin was marvelous, right? So what does he do? He goes back to Elijah and he says, can I get some mud, dirt, around this river and load up my mules with that dirt and take that back home? Because what I want to do is I never will worship any other God but Jehovah for the rest of of my life. And I want to take this dirt and I want to build the altar right on that as a testimony to the thing that I thought I despised, I now love. And he even said this, when I get back home, my boss, the king, is going to want me to go to these temples and he's going to require me to go. Do I have your permission, Elijah, to go with him and commit that I'm never going to worship anything, even though I'm with him. I'm not worshiping those gods, but I'm just going to attend the thing with him. Elisha said, yeah, go, go, go ahead. But I mean, this guy was won over. His heart was won over by what God did for him. And it made him love the dirt, even, that God had healed him in. See, that's the way we're to feel when we get saved. We used to hear about the cross, and we, it disgusted us. What a bloody, stupid religion. All of a sudden we get saved and we're like, I will never worship anyone else. This is it. He's my God. See, that's what happens at conversion. That's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs, to draw us in, to illumine Christ to us. God speaks to us once he's in about who we are. He pampers us with confirmation of who we are in Christ. You remember the movie Ben-Hur? Some of you don't because you're just not that old. But Charlton Heston was a slave on a slave ship. And as the slave ship is going down, he manages to save the Roman general. The Roman general takes him under his wing, uh, eventually gives him his signet ring, and declares, you are no longer my slave, you are my son. You and I are like that. God chose us. He drew him to him, us to himself. He gave his son for us. He loves us. He converted us. And now he's made us our, his own kids. And we simply love him back. Verse 17. If we're children, then we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What's an heir? An heir is a person who's a future certain recipient. An heir knows that his father loves him. Someday the father's going to give everything he has to you. You and I are heirs. We're not second class sons and daughters. Y'all remember the story of the daughter who was locked away in the, in the house while the stepdaughters went to the the party at the palace, right? Cinderella. You and I are not Cinderella's. We're not, we are joint heirs with Christ. Are we going to get glorified bodies? Are we going to be in the Father's house? Are we going to reign with Christ? Yes, yes, and yes. So our salvation, while it is complete, is not fully realized yet, but it is coming. See, it is a delight for earthly fathers when they're good ones 
to look at everything that they have, everything that they've amassed, and say to their kids, one day, this will all be yours. That's how God looks at you and me if we are his kid. And great dads never stop loving their kids. And God doesn't stop loving his. It's the Spirit's job to lead us and to affirm to us from within that we have been adopted into God's very family, that we are loved and that that love is never going away. And that love merely compels us to love him back. And we do that by allowing the Holy Spirit to take over, to empower us to go, to empower us to do, to empower us to say, to be what loving kids want to do, to please our daddies who've already loved us. I know this daddy stuff might be a little tough. For those of you who did not have loving dads growing up, all I'll say is this, the loving dad that you always wanted, you will find through faith in Christ. If you do, you, you will be who he says you are, his 